Okay, you guys want to hear a story? Yes. Okay. Yeah. It's found in Luke 17. And uh, it's verse 7. Which of you, having a slave, slave plowing or tending sheep, will say to him when he has come in from the field, Come immediately and sit down to eat. But will I not say to him, prepare something for me to eat? Properly clothe yourself and serve me while I eat and drink. And afterward, you may eat and drink. He does not thank the slave because he did the things which were commanded, does he? So you too, when you do all the things which are commanded, you say, we are unworthy slaves. We have done only that which we ought to to have done. Okay, help me out here. God calls us sons or children of God, doesn't He? He calls us uh, friends. Uh, like in Galatians 4, 6 and 7, uh, Paul says, remember, you are no longer slaves, you're sons. Uh, in John fifteen fifteen, Jesus says to His disciples, you are no longer slaves. You are my friends. So He calls us sons. He calls us friends. But He calls us slaves. Well, He says that in our text today. Unworthy slaves. Uh, so what am I supposed to do with this? So am I supposed to think of myself as an unworthy slave or a friend or a son? What is the answer? All the above. It's not contradicting. It is all of those. Yes, we are slaves. We're sons. We're friends. We're bride of the Christ of Christ and such. But you know, Jesus often gives some very challenging passages that we deal with. And here again is another challenging one. It's uh, about our attitude to God. He has some really important things to teach us. Jesus does, doesn't He? Very important. What we think about God. What we think about God's blessings. Jesus just comes and turns everything upside down. And our thinking has to be challenged because we tend to think like human beings. That's not always good. That's why in Romans 12, too, we're to be transformed by the renewing of the mind. The Word of God is what's going to change our thinking our thought process. Man always seems to be kind of on the opposite end of the spectrum when it always comes to the things of God. You ever notice that? It definitely, what Jesus says, goes against the grain of man. So that's found throughout all the book of Luke. Have you noticed that? All through the Bible. And it's no different than today's passage. For instance, if you take uh, popular theology of our day that we have, it's like, uh, okay, God, 
we do this, you'll do this. If we do this, you'll do it. If we don't do it, we're supposed to do it, then you will curse us. And that even comes with the people who believe in grace alone, by faith alone, by Christ alone, Scripture alone, the glory of God alone. All those people that would be in agreement with what we believe also have a tendency to fall into that area. If I just obey enough, then I can make up for whatever it is that I've done wrong. Have you ever thought that? I bet you have. Maybe and I could shift it into another gear and now I can make up for some of my thoughts and my sins that I've been participating in. Well, if I just obey enough, and that is having leverage over God. If I do this, then He will do this. That is exactly what God is trying to change in the disciples' minds right now. Because they just made a statement, and I'll further that pretty shortly here. He uh, is trying to correct His disciples all along. It's a great teaching moment, and that's exactly what He's doing, and it's coming off of the very text that we dealt with last week. It connects with that. Didn't have time to get to this last week. But they have error in their thinking. And they uh, actually said, Lord, give us more faith. It's not quantity of faith that's the problem. It's the quality of faith. It's the character of faith that they're not understanding. The nature of faith. You could probably call it a pharisaical faith. It's based more upon the possessor of the faith, like us, rather than the object of the faith. Have faith in God. Not faith in yourself or your own belief. If I believe I'll get something, then if I really believe that hard enough, God will give it to me. Have you ever thought that way? It's definitely a popular theology of the day, and it's absolutely terribly wrong. If I do this, God will do this. You know what that does with grace? Wipes it totally out. But that is a popular theology, and evidently it was back at that time. It's based upon your performance rather than on God's character. Give us more faith then that we can forgive That's just what he came off of in the topic. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank You for Your Word, Your very truth here. You're teaching lessons that are valuable. Valuable right here on earth. Eternal lessons. It's about Your character. About Your nature. And how we are to respond to Your nature. How we are to live the life of the Christian out in this kingdom that we already live. So Lord, help us to see ourselves as not only friends, sons, but also unworthy slaves as we go into a very much needed topic for the disciples at that time, for all of us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
That's the uh, unexpected story that the disciples get here. First that we uh, address is as slaves of God, we owe Him everything. Obedience in all things. What does He owe us? Absolutely nothing. Nothing. He owes us nothing. We'll get to that as we proceed through here. The Lord instructs us to view ourselves here as God's slaves. We owe Him obedience in all things. We are unworthy of any of His blessings. That's what grace is, isn't it? It's undeserved blessings. Undeserved favor. Unmerited favor in every way. Otherwise, it's not grace. Now, slave, by his position, must obey. A friend must obey. A son of God must obey. So we're not setting any of that aside. A slave is not told, though, the master's plans and his purposes. He just does what the master tells him to do. Whereas a friend is one who obeys, but yet he gets in on what God's plan and purpose is. The Son of God gets to know God's plan and His purpose. So, slave, that's a key word. It starts off in verse 7. And he also says it in verse 10 about the the slave. Paul referred to himself as a slave. I think Romans chapter 1, verse 1 starts off in that grand doctrinal book. One of our favorite ones. And it says, Paul, a bond servant of Christ Jesus. Now you might say, bond servant. He's a servant, right? He's a bond servant. Better to be translated Doulos or slave. Uh, we don't get usually the word slave in our English translations because it caused an offense to a lot of different people, different cultures, and they'll use the word servant or bond servant. But when you hear the word servant, pit it up against slave, which one would you rather be? A servant, right? rather than a slave. But most often, when you see the word servant in our English Bibles, it's doulos, it's bond servant, or really, it's slave. One who is a bond slave or bound to the Master. He has given up everything to the Master. Master takes care of him and his feeding and his lodging such if he's a good master. But you can see this language goes back to the time of Christ before that. We have to take ourselves today, 2,000 years later, and put it into place of what the text is. Because today, if you even mention the word slave, you might get arrested. It's politically incorrect. But the thing is, it's biblically correct. There were slaves 
God never really ever condemns slaves. Now, I'm not standing up here and saying, we should have slavery today. And I want to be the master. I'm not saying that whatsoever. But it's a great analogy because much of the Roman world, and at that time of Jesus, many people were slaves across the world. The percentage of them were. As Paul addresses himself and others as slaves themselves. There were some people who were free. Well, we know in Romans 1, Paul is seen as a slave. And throughout his epistles, sometimes he'll say, an apostle of God. Paul, a slave of God, right? Who else called themselves slaves? Did you know Mary called herself a slave? Did you know that? Go back to Luke chapter 1, verse 38. There's the Christmas story there. And she's visited by an angel, Gabriel. And after he has addressed her, she says in 38, And Mary said, Behold, the bond slave of the Lord. May it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. She called herself a doulos, a bond slave. She knew who her master was. There was somebody else that mentioned himself as a slave. I want to be in the book of James. Chapter 1, verse 1, and this is the very half-brother of Jesus. James, a bondservant, doulos of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we get the idea that they knew what slaves were about. And so that transition from that language of the day to being a slave of God is a good thing. After all, we all must serve somebody. You're either either a slave of who? Satan. Or you're a slave of God. I like uh, John MacArthur's book. It's a black book, I think, with white letters. Slave. That's it. It's the title of the book. Do you have that available? Great book. Really tells a perspective of who we are. Who the Master is. Great. It's a super book. And and you wouldn't believe that the publishers just they could not handle this. He said, You've got to change the title. We'll change it for you. You know. At least put bond servant or something on it. He says, No. We're going to slave. And for a guy who has had Bibles, all sorts of books done by that company, they went ahead and put it out as slave. So I remember having that at the store. Put it right up there in the front display. Slave. <laughs> anyway, service of God's servant, it's not a matter of negotiation, but it's a duty. It's a duty to serve God. We're talking about having a proper fear of God. You know, it's easy to think of ourselves as being sons of God, and we are, friend of God, 
bride of Christ, on and on, all the things that were given. And yet, here is another one. It's a, just a good analogy. A good picture, but see, a relationship sometimes was really good between a master and a bond slave because he would be bonded to his master and either he could have no home, he could be homeless, not have any kind of work to do, no income coming in whatsoever, not place to lay his head, one could be, and yet, in this sense, it would be better to be serving somebody and you get a place to live. You get food to eat, water to drink. You get taken care of. You get clothes. And so sometimes people would give themselves up to do that. They would work out in the fields all day long, taking care of the fields, taking care of the sheep. They'd come in at the end of the day and prepare the master and his family a meal after all that. The master sits down at the table. That's what we get in this whole parable as we uh, read it, or a story, that is. And uh, it's quite the discipline of a slave. And I guess an analogy that we could look at today and identify would be military. You're expected to do what they tell you all day long. It's a discipline matter. And the soldiers obey. They are like servants of that time that displayed humility. Unworthy servants. They knew their position. They knew that their responsibility was taking the commands from the master obeying. It was a duty. Can you imagine a slave coming off his work for the day, coming in off the field, plopping himself down at the table and says, feed me, Master. That's not the case. He would have to serve a nice dinner. So we focus on the duty as a slave. I think Jesus is using some, maybe if I can say this, one commentator said some humor here. As he says, wouldn't it be ridiculous if... Uh, the slave would do all that work for the day, then come in. Matter of fact, he might just do a short day of work. Plop himself on there on the on the couch. Say, Master, give me some food. It's not not the case here. Uh, you know, Jesus, which of you have a slave plowing or tending sheep? That's what they do both in the fields and say to him when he has come in from the field come immediately and sit down to eat like that would be the master saying come on in have yourself a seat but actually it says won't he say to him the master say prepare something for me to eat make sure your hands are washed and you're properly clothed we don't want that smelly stuff coming in here you've been with sheep they're plowing and all that stuff as you've been working. And he says, serve me. And then after you've served me and I've eaten, then you can eat what you made for me. That tastes great. (laughs) 
Anyway, what the responsibilities? He took orders. They didn't join slave unions to get maybe uh, more wages or better working conditions. Slaves just obeyed. They didn't expect the owners to do anything like that, serving them. Uh, It was their duty. And I think as we look at this, we have to realize that we have a lowly position in the sense that a bond slave is there to serve the master. We are but dust and ashes before a holy God in His presence. He owes us nothing. We owe Him everything. He doesn't owe us. He owns us as His slaves. 1 Corinthians 6 says that He bought us with a price. See, people had to pay for their slaves. So the Master would buy the slaves. We were bought by our Master. And as such, we owe Him what? Obedience. Even when the commands seem difficult, we owe Him obedience. Now this sounds like a works salvation, doesn't it? You know what? It couldn't be further from the truth because that's exactly what it's addressing here as we get to the end of the passage. So the first part, we talked about the bond slave, right? Number two, obedience doesn't mean that God is obligated. Now I know this sounds like a really rough view of God because we know that He's gracious and merciful and compassionate. He's kind. He's good. He's a loving God, isn't He? Don't ever forget that. Always keep that ahead. But at the same time, realize as we are sons of the kingdom, we're also slaves. He's not obligated to us. But as we go through this, we see the benefits of it all. But at first, we kind of clear the air, right? Servants of God know that God is not obligated to them because why? He is our Creator. He is our Sustainer. He's taking care of us. He gives us far more than we can even imagine. We don't have to beg. He gives us all we need. What a master. We never can put him in the position where he has to bless us. I tell something on myself back in the early days when I started studying. There was uh, shows like Pat Robertson. There was another guy that got put in jail. Uh, Jim Baker. I was watching one of those shows and they were saying, if you believe hard enough, you can get whatever you want. 
wow, that's a deal. I had a toothache at the time. Man, my tooth was driving me crazy. So I said, God, I really believe that you want to take this toothache away from me. And I really believe it, God. So I sit and waited. I thought, a few seconds, it'll go away. This really works. A few seconds, it's still there. A few minutes, a few days. Uh, finally, I had to go to the dentist. <laughs> there you go. Take care of It uh, really, you know, kind of disappointed me. God didn't come through. I put him in an obligation, didn't I? Where he had to do something if I really believe strong enough. That is our popular theology of our day. And yes, we are to believe God, but that's the whole point. It's not belief in our belief. Belief in our faith, if I believe hard enough, it's not that at all. It's if I believe God, He's going to do what He does. In His will, in His timing. It's part of prayer. So, uh, what was the thinking of the Pharisees? which had spread to the disciples. People are sick. People are ailing. They are uh, blind. They're deaf. They're dumb. You know what the Pharisees thought? They've done something evil. Bad. They are sinful. They look down upon them. Spread no mercy or compassion or grace upon them because they sinned. And so therefore, God is giving them their just but the Pharisees, they are pretty rich, doing well. People think greatly of them. They are blessed because they are righteous in their own eyes. God never saw their righteousness. They didn't have it. As far as they were concerned, they were. They were self-righteousness. They, uh, they did something that God had to do something for them. So they could look at what their lifestyle was and see, you do it, then this is what you get. The theology is absolutely wrong. They're looking at God as what? A genie, right? So in their world, and you look at it from God's angle, just because you have some kind of righteous, self-righteous obedience. It doesn't always work with blessings in that sense. Pharisaical faith becomes really a work. So it obligates God to respond in the way that you want because you did what you were supposed to do. At least we thought. Biblical faith not pharisaical faith, thinks in terms of duty. Pharisaical faith is in terms of benefits. My benefits, God is obligated to do that. What kind of God is that? It's an, that's an idol. He made out God to be something that He is not. So, we look on and we see that we ought to serve God in gratitude and humility. By the way, Julia, again, 
I didn't have my outline because I was having difficulty having an outline by my time that I usually have. I forgot to tell you about that. You guys might be looking up there, but you have them on your bulletins, right? You have a bulletin, that's our outline. So anyway, sorry about that, but I was re- I really struggled this week of how to outline this thing, and you'll notice that I'm doing it a little bit different. I'm not going down each verse and explaining the meaning of words and and what that is. It's a little parable, or it's a little story, or here's a situation, you know, as he makes this kind of a humorous thought here, but he is addressing the fact that they were thinking wrong. What faith was. Give me some more faith and I, I can forgive people then. So he's correcting that thought. And so it's hard for me to break this down. We're just getting values out of this that's done a little differently this morning. Have you guys noticed it? It's not like, okay, now in verse 7, although we have read it, and yes, we are uh, 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 applying some of that there. There's something for me and clothe me and, okay. Um, says in verse 9, He does not thank the slave because he, the slave, did the things which were commanded. Does he? Um, does the master owe a thanks? Well, it's the other way around, isn't it? We ought to serve God in gratitude and humility. Because you want to know why? He's already given us everything. And that's why it's up to us to return the praise and glory to Him. That's why when we sing, we're giving Him praise. When we read the passages, the screen, we're giving Him praise. We pray to Him. We give Him praise. Here we are giving Him praise. Here, Pharisees really believed because of their outward compliance with the law, they could actually merit God's favor. And that is the religion that Jesus hates. He deplores this meriting His favor. Because that's an offense right in His face, isn't it? You see, He's a God of grace. Their prosperity, it's all logical to them, they have prosperity because they have been pious in their own self-piety. They didn't really feel gratitude towards God. They didn't need to because why? They did something. They were pleasing God so you don't really have to give Him thanks. I did this. It's it's like um, somebody who works for a living. They get paid. They expect that because they worked. They work. They get their wages. And they don't really say to the boss, hey, thanks a lot for the check. In fact, I get paid every two weeks. I don't say thanks to anybody. I just go to the bank get my money. So I go pay the bills. They don't usually say thanks either. <laughs> So, we are to be humbled and giving God thanks. Pharisees thought they were getting what they deserved in their own minds. Gratitude to them would be an obligation. And that's really God's 
think he should be gratified because I've done this. <laughs> you ever you ever done something in the name of God, it's serving God, you know, done things that are good, that are for His glory, but you start thinking, yeah, but you know, God will remember that and uh, He will return that. <laughs> We're all guilty of that. Well, at least I am. If I'm standing here alone, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, it's like, but God, you, you've seen what I've done and you know, look what I've done all my life, you know, and you know, it's it's about serving you and it's it's not what's the deal, Lord? I'm not getting all the you know, the accolades, the benefits. That is putting him on a spot that he doesn't belong in our minds. Did you know that he really is always ready to lavish grace upon grace upon grace to us. Uh, that's right. You know, when you we were talking about this Tuesday night, weren't we? When we were talking about gratitude and thanksgiving, giving thanks, that's the highest form of praise because you're realizing what grace is. You're praising Him because He has given all this from salvation to everything we need to live a godly life. He's given us everything we need. And then the promise of eternal benefits that go on into glory. If we would just start thinking what He's given us, we don't have enough time to be able to tell Him thanks for this and this. It goes on and on and on and on and on. And He says, that's what I'm looking for. You didn't do this. I did it through you. You didn't get yourself saved, did you? Otherwise, you could take a little bit of glory yourself. Yeah, even Billy Graham said, 99% God and 1% us. Wrong. It's 100% God's grace or it's nothing. It's all because of what Jesus has done. Jesus paid it all. All to Him I owe. We sing it in the hymns all the time. All the songs that we have, we sing about the same mess. Nothing about this is new, is it? Obedience flows from gratitude of God's grace. The slave is not to expect gratitude from the master. The slave is to show gratitude towards the master. Okay, listen to this. It's our gratitude based upon the grace of God, the gift of God, unmerited favor. Our gratitude is based upon the grace of God in our lives, which is fuel for, in this case, forgiveness. Forgiveness is a duty. He commands them to do it. They go, there's no way that I could do seven times. You know, I'd have to have a lot of faith. I really have to be spiritual to do that. He says, it's not a matter of how much faith you have. 
it's a matter of trusting me and what I said. If they confess their sins to you or they say they're sorry or whatever it is they've done in their offense, then you have to forgive them. Yeah, but. Yeah, but. You know that? Yeah. No, he says, no, there's no yeah, buts. He says, here's what you do. Here is what? Here is obedience. Listen to me. Forgive. could be a many number of things, but that's what he just came off of. So, your gratitude, which is based on God's grace, what did He do? He saved us by grace. Through faith. All of this is connected with faith, and we'll get to that in just a short few moments here. That's the fuel for forgiveness. Let's go to our fourth one. This is our last one. God deals with us by grace. Verse 10. So he says, so you too. Now who is he speaking to? Really the disciples here that were asking about the faith thing. And he's already given a story now. And now he says, apply it. He says, so you too. And you know what? You know who this you too is? Us. It's not the group. You too. <laughs> you too. You also. When you do all the things which are commanded, you say, we are unworthy slaves. We have done only that which we ought to have done. We haven't gone overboard. Sometimes we could say, yeah, I've already done that. The rest of the people can go ahead and do their thing, you know. I'm not going to do anything above and beyond. Uh, Hey, I showed up for Sunday. (laughs) God's going to be pleased with me because I went to church today. Oh, that's that obligation thing again, isn't it? The thing is, is how what you get out of obedience. Spurgeon says this. Spurgeon always gets a little humorous sometimes. He says that the Lord here is pouring cold water down our backs, but it's therapeutic. (laughs) You too should say, we are unworthy slaves. We have done only that which we ought to have done. Uh, It's talking about remember our place before a holy God. He is high, exalted King of the universe. And He gives us access to Him. Don't ever forget that. It's all by grace. But sometimes we can be so puffed up over our years of serving, giving up time and effort, say, okay, I did my thing. Or we can be good at finally forgiving somebody. As in this text here. It's like, God, I forgave when this was really difficult, but I'm, I'm obeying You. I'm doing what You said. See, when we do it in that idea, that way, it would be God still owes us something. If I do something for somebody that really is really difficult. You know, we receive grace. We have no claim on God at all. He gave us the privilege, and here's where the point is, we 
have a super privilege in getting in on serving Him. Isn't that amazing? What a privilege. At the same time, let's think about Him as being a servant to us. You know, the marriage supper of the Lamb? You know who's serving there? Who's serving who? Christ is serving us. Do you remember John 13? Passover night? Jesus comes in, kneels down, and starts washing the disciples' feet. That's a low slave work. That's a slave. That's what they did. Wow. And He did that for them. That's what He does for us. And of course, the ultimate serving is at the cross. Look what He did for us. He went to the point of death. Yes, even death. He says, I want to serve you a feast. Jesus came not to be served, but to serve. He gave His life as a ransom for the many, for the chosen. You see, we serve because He serves. The God of the universe actually serves us. He's giving us everything we need. Boy, that that makes you think about that's grace, isn't it? You know, we can live a perfect life and we can't. Nobody has. We know that. But what if you lived a perfect life? God says, so what? Big deal. You just did what I commanded you to do. Nobody can live a perfect life. He says, be ye holy, for I am holy. You know, we've added nothing to the asset side of the ledger. Uh, you take all the religions of the world, if it's not by grace, all the other religions have a list of here's what I did wrong, but here are my rights. And as long as what you did right is a little bit better than the other side of the ledger, you get to go to heaven. The Muslims believe that. And I could go on to say every other religion besides Christianity is that. It's cold works. And really the only thing they can go by is their little list that they have. Well, I did this, did this. I didn't murder anybody. I didn't steal from anybody. You know, a lot of the didn'ts and and even a couple of I dids. God deals with grace. There's no praise of glory in doing our duty. We don't have an earned brownie points because we have had the privilege of serving the King of the universe. Look at Luke twelve, thirty five through thirty seven. Be dressed in readiness and 
keep your lamps lit. Be like men who are waiting for their master when he returns from the wedding feast. Look at this. So that they may immediately open the door to him when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those slaves whom the master will find on the alert, watchful, waiting. When he comes, truly I say to you that he will gird himself to serve and have them recline at the table and come up and wait on them whether it comes in the second watch or even in the third and finds them so, blessed are those slaves. God will never ask you to do something unless He's already done it and He will do it. We serve Him. He serves us. He's the one who first served us. He chose us to be in His family, in His royal court. And here we are as slaves also, and when He comes back, He's going to say, sit down, I'm going to serve you. (laughs) While right now He's singing over us. This is one of the Old Testament prophets. Whoa. You see... We can be sons and daughters of the King. We can be friends of God. Adopted into His family and friends. At the same time, we can be slaves. Because He served us. And now we have the privilege of this happening. The best thing that you can do in your life is to serve God and keep looking for ways to serve Him because that's the best blessing that you'll ever get. And have you ever done it? Have you ever done something that you know that God wanted you to do and you did it? And you did it out of gratitude? Did you notice as you walked away from that, you go, wow, that was something what God did there in that person's life. I mean, the blessing that you get is immense. So it's not one of those kind of things, I have to do this. I'm not even insinuating you guys do that. I'm really not. But I'm saying, you know, if we would see it as, wow, this is the best privilege in the world. To be able to open up our Bibles and study together this morning right here. And then as we go through the rest of the day, is there a better thing on earth to do than talk about God's Word? There's not, this is the elite. This is the top. There's nothing better. Go out there and find all the different things that can be done. But this is the elite thing of all things. It's all about His grace. The basis of His grace. It's not on the basis of our merits, is it? So, I'm going to take the last few moments here. We're just about done. It's all about grace. We are not worthy of deserving. That's what he's saying here. You're unworthy slaves. You're not worthy or you're not deserving my blessings. You don't deserve my grace or my gift. And Doesn't that say what grace is? We don't deserve it. We're unworthy. God is worthy. We sing that song, He is worthy. He is worthy. He is worthy. He 
He's gracious. He deserves the praise. We don't deserve the praise. What does He do? So, what I'm going to do here is take back last week. Jesus said this. He said, okay, don't be a stumbling block. Don't make other people sin. Don't make your sin into something. And, and your sin affects not only you, but everybody else. It affects them in some way. Even to the third and the fourth generation in the Old Testament says. But He says, don't let your sin be a stumbling block. Don't make other people sin. Then the second thing He says, when people sin and offend you, what are you supposed to do when they... When they Ask for forgiveness. What do you do? You forgive them. Well, they offend you again. What do you do? You forgive them. They offend you again. What do you do? Well, seven. Seventy times seven, right? And the disciples are saying, Oh, I can't do that. They're probably thinking of what somebody has done to them in their life. Probably something really horrible. So, I... Uh, I'm not that spiritual. I can't do that. So they say in verse 5, the apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. The Lord said, if you had faith like a mustard seed, very, very small, you would say to this mulberry tree, which has roots that are dug in and they're huge and they those mulberry trees would last as long as 600 years. What kind of roots do they have? Yeah. He says, you could take something so rooted and just fling it into the ocean. Fling it into the Missouri River, for that matter. And is he talking about some kind of agriculture thing here? Mustard seed, mulberry tree? No. He's saying, listen, it's not about the quantity of faith. If you're a believer, you already have that. He says, what I want you to do is trust me and what? What's the song? Trust and obey. He says obey. And then he says this. And this is where we left off last week. We didn't get to go to this part. We didn't have, there was no time. I didn't have it prepared. Then he says this. Okay. What does Jesus do? When he teaches, he points out something they could understand. When you, having a slave, plowing or tending sheep, will say to him, when he has come in from the field, come immediately and sit down to eat. So he starts explaining all of this, what we've just talked about for the last 40 minutes or so. He says, and what's the key there in verse 5? Increase our faith. He says, okay. Here's the deal about faith. In, in Luke, faith... Now listen to this, is closely associated with unworthiness. Faith and unworth is it clicking yet? And that's why this last verse is so key, is really what he's talking about. It's not talking about having a really bad self-image, but it's talking about faith, true biblical faith is very closely associated with unworthiness to be saved you have to see yourself as a what? An unworthy slave. As a beggar in a low point, dead in your sins, trespasses, that kind of thing. The, you, you remember uh, in Luke, there was this one man who was lifted down through the roof. A really humorous story. 
And he had friends, well, there were four of them that brought him there and put him down there. You know, I think that would be really embarrassing to be, you know, cut a hole and then be lifted down and there's Jesus and you're kind of hanging there right before Him. I... I don't know, guys. Listen, I you know I, I really want to walk, but I, you know I don't know about that. Um, you see, this man knew his not only his physical condition; he knew he was unworthy to be in that house. Well, people are, and they're important people, you know. And he felt a deep sense of unworthiness. And you know what, Jesus first does? He doesn't heal him. He does what? He says, your sins are forgiven. It's because he was conscious of his unworthiness. And so Jesus first pronounced forgiveness and then he healed him. Luke chapter 7, you have the centurion. He has a slave. The slave is dying. He has his people go to Jesus. He's not worthy to go to Jesus. As a matter of fact, he's not even worthy to have Jesus come to his house to the slave. And they tell Jesus about that and and they said, well, you know, um, you don't even have to, they're relaying the message from the centurion, you don't even have to come to the house because I know you can heal him from here. Heal from a distance, couldn't he? Well, sure, he's God. But he knew that he was unworthy. And Jesus said, I know of no other man that has faith like that. He was unworthy, but yet he knew what God would do. Jesus is worthy. How about the self-righteous Pharisee and the penitent sinner? There's a direct connection. Go to Luke chapter 18. And... Think, yeah, verse 8, and then it goes into the Pharisee and the tax collector. Just the verse before that. I tell you that he will bring about justice for them quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Now that's a key to our next section there that, that's there in verse 9. We know we have this coming up real shortly, don't we, in chapter 18, but we'll get this real quickly. He also told this parable to some people who trusted in themselves. They had faith in themselves. They didn't see themselves as what? Unworthy slaves. And they viewed others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray. One, a Pharisee, and the other, a tax collector, a sinner. So you have a righteous man, that's in in quotes, right? Self-righteous. And you have a man who is going to beg for mercy. The Pharisee stood and was praying this to himself. God, I thank you. He's actually giving gratitude to God that I am not like other people. Look what I've done. I'm a good person. I have done this. Thank you, God, that I'm this way. I've done this. I've earned it. 
swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. See, this guy is nothing like that. He has no sin, does he? That's really what he's saying. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all that I get. So he tells what he's done. He's a workspace salvationist all the way. But the tax collector, standing some distance away, was even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven. I would say that he felt unworthy, but was beating his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. That's how one comes to God. They recognize that they are sinners. They're not like the Pharisee who was righteous, who always did good, who wasn't a sinner. He really was. I tell you, this man went to his house justified. Justified. That means declared righteous. Before God, he's declared righteous. When he sees me, he sees his righteousness. Right? Rather than the other, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. But the one who humbles himself, the unworthy servant, will be exalted. If you're a Christian, this is every one of us. We realized there was nothing we could offer God. We were unworthy. That's the idea. Do you see a direct connotation? Going back to verse 8, he when he comes, will he find faith on the earth? What is faith? One who is justified because of his own sense of unworthiness. Not a self-confidence in himself for salvation. Faith functions only in the context, get this, faith is only in the context of mercy and grace. That's where faith is at. It's exercised only by those who know themselves to be unworthy. I'm not worthy of this. Faith never looks to God to respond to us because of our goodness. So, one would ask us, how do we forgive someone Who's not worthy of it? How do we forgive someone that I've already forgiven and now they're asking forgiveness again and I'm not going to give it to them? Jesus answered, really is as follows. First, He's the Master. That's what we've been saying. We are His slaves. We are obligated to obey Him. He is not obligated to us. He does make promises and we are His. They will come true. Second, while it may take faith to forgive, as Jesus has said, it's not just the quantity of faith really, but it's the quality of that. Faith is that system of those who are unworthy of God's favor. And they approach Him and they live for Him. Would we suppose that those who sin against us are unworthy of our forgiveness? 
this is what set all this up here as they talked about as he talked about forgiveness and they said they don't have enough faith to forgive and here's where we get into the whole point let us not forget that we are unworthy to receive forgiveness every person is we are unworthy of all the blessings that He continues to give us every day. The forgiveness which we are commanded to show is a matter of grace because we see what He did on the cross and He forgave us. We are commanded to show it's a matter of grace. Everything we do is a matter of grace. We've been privileged to serve Him. We've been privileged to come to church to worship. Privileged to drive our cars here and do whatever we do the rest of the day. We live by grace and we are to manifest that same grace to other people. You see, that is what we do. So how do we show a servant's attitude? Well, it's by how you act when somebody treats you like a slave. How are you going to react when they treat you lowly and treat you like a low slave? Do you get offended and say, I deserve better treatment than this. I deserve it. Or do we say this, I just really actually get treated better than I really should. Better than I deserve. Because I'm not just a servant. I'm an unworthy slave. And when you tip it over, you realize what we have been given. We give thanks. We have gratitude. Because we realize who the profitable servant is. The worthy servant is Jesus Christ. And that's the moral of the story. We have been graced, haven't we? Let's pray. Thank You, Lord, that You put it into us see our sin, to be like that penitent sinner who realized he needed Your mercy. He needed Your love. He needed Your grace. And he knew that he didn't have it. And we live daily like that. Not only in salvation, but every day we need You. We need Christ. We need Your Word every day to change our thinking from the world to the thinking of the high heavens. The presence of God. Help giving, keep helping, giving us that mind of Christ that you put into us. And help us to serve you today in all that we do. To serve you tomorrow and the next day. Every moment. To serve you to give glory. In your Son's name, Amen.